and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile management simulator. My name's Michael Amanato, and on this week's edition, the Brazilian Grand Prix, Felipe is finally faster than Fernando. And why couldn't Ferrari be this flawless all season long? That's all to come on this edition of the Strategy Report. The penultimate round of the 2017 Formula One World Championship, the Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos. It's something of a traditional near end of season race, and it had some tension, it had some fights through the field, and it had the second farewell for Felipe Massa after last year's farewell, coincidentally enough. To look back on it with me, I'm joined by Fernando Campos from the podcast Fernando is Faster Than You. Fernando, how are you doing? I'm great, but you can tell by my voice that it was a uh, really good weekend in Interlagos, so looking forward to having another great participation here because the race was great and being in Interlagos in a second year in a row was really good as well. It is. It's always uh, it has that end of season feeling now, doesn't it? It's become one of those races there that you just know that everyone's easing up a little bit. You know, this is the, the end of the calendar and there's that expectation. I don't know if I necessarily believe it, but a lot of people put forward. But when the championship's finished, when they've all been decided, we know Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes have won it, that everyone sort of lets loose a little bit. The gloves come off. They're free to, to race however they want. We didn't exactly get that, but I suppose for a change, we did see in this race Valtteri Bottas having to to step up a, a little bit as opposed to just being a Lewis Hamilton show. First, I was surprised to see how packed Interlagos was, even though the, chip, the championship were, was decided. But Interlagos was packed even more than last year, so it was interesting to see that. But um, it was, yes, Bottas started to... to to be a little bit more efficient this race, and even though he got pole position and dropped back from from the lead on the first lap, it was good to see him react and bounce back from a really average season, like you said. And this makes us believe and see mm-hmm. how good Rosberg was, and uh, <laughs> now we respect what Rosberg did because Bottas had a pretty average season. Every time he was considered to be cl- closing up on a title fight, he used to drop back again. So it was a good good race for Bottas to drop to to bounce back, and this was the perfect opportunity since Hamilton crashed in Q1. Absolutely right. Uh, the Hamilton crash certainly opened up this Grand Prix, and there are a couple of important factors to take into account ahead of the weekend that happened. One of them is an ongoing story of this season, and it's the, the fact the tires are really hard in 2017. This is one of the races where we really. Uh, this is emphasized quite significantly. Normally, the Brazilian Grand Prix requires the hard tire. It's a high-energy circuit, even though it's a, a short lap into Lagos. Uh, but this round, not only did they not bring the hard, it was the medium, the soft, and the super soft. The medium was hardly used, and even the soft they used because they had to, but the super soft was capable of doing easily half the race. And indeed, more or less, most drivers got very close to half of the race. How much does this have to change considering Brazil's normally more than one stop, isn't it? And this one was an easy one-stop race. Yeah, we talked about it uh, on the stands today because uh, a couple of years ago or three years ago, they decided to take uh, the, the medium tires and the hard tires to Interlagos, which was a pretty da- pretty weird decision. And even though they got they, they brought the super, the super soft to, to Interlagos, they, the drivers were going for almost 30 laps in the super soft. So I believe the best idea would be bringing the ultra softs next year, even though they will not last as much, but it will create more and more strategy options because uh, almost 30 laps in the softest compound is not the <laughs> ideal part because everybody 
pretty much did a, a one stopper apart from from Verstappen that wanted to 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 get defensive up. So I believe bringing the Ultrasofts will be the best idea next year to to open up the strategic options. I think we'll see that happen. Maybe we'll even see this new ridiculous extreme super ultra mega soft that Pirelli's talking about <laughs> hopefully that that'll be more of a street circuit tire but I don't know I hope something has got to change next year because like you say doing half the race on what's meant to be the qualifying tire it doesn't make any sense and the result is like we got uh, in Brazil this weekend we had everyone knowing exactly what the strategy was but Pirelli knew they were going to stop between laps 26 and 32 you know Vettel stopped exactly in the middle 28 Pretty much everyone stopped before lap 32 except Sergio Perez and the people starting on the soft tyre. It's it's become predictable. I know sometimes we talk about the tyres too much, but you know they do play a part. And we know why Pirelli brought these tyres. They didn't know how the cars were going to be, but I guess we really need quite a dramatic change next year. Yes, and we saw that not only in Interlagos, in other racetracks, we saw that happening too. So they need to be more aggressive in, in some of their choices because this is purely on the compound choice. If they had... If they had chosen uh, the ultra soft, for example, ultra soft, super soft, and soft, this would open up more the the options. And it's it's funny to me to see how conservative how, how conservative they are in Interlagos, but especially Interlagos in, in other tracks as well. So if really becomes more aggressive, especially with these wider tires, they are they they last more simply because they are bigger, they're wider. So I believe they'll be more aggressive in 2018. This was an year to 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 have an experience to find out how these big tires would would behave. But now they know how they will behave, and maybe in 2018 they'll be more aggressive. Hopefully uh, that is the case. And the final, I suppose, pre-race uh, consideration to take into account. You said there was a good crowd at Interlagos, and I mean we thought maybe there wouldn't be because Felipe Massa retired last year, but he retired again this year. Two retirements in two years. It's pretty good if you can get it, I suppose. What was the reception like? You were at last year's race, like you said. You you felt the emotions last year. The crowd felt the emotions, and Felipe felt those emotions last year. But what was it like to do it again one year later? Was it a bit weird? It was really weird. <laughs> it was really weird, and it was not as emotional as it was last year, but it was still emotional. emotional. It was still good to see that happening. I mean, uh, some of us, some of us had tears in our eyes when the race uh, finished, and Felipe was running with the with the green flag in his hands, and we didn't get to listen to Felipe to to his son's radio. But if we, if we did, I'm sure more people would have tears in their eyes, and we 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 invaded the racetrack, which is <laughs> funny because in Brazil they don't have gates, so we have to to go through the fences to get to the racetrack. We don't have this easy way to 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 access the track, but it was it was, let's say. Interesting <laughs> to see Felipe coming back, and I think this time will be his last uh, his last retirement. And it was good to be involved in both of them. <laughs> really emotional, really good, and he deserves this reception. I think so. And we'll talk a little bit more about how Felipe Massa got, I think, certainly a better result in his second retirement than his first one, even if it was a little bit less emotional, let's say. But really, the weekend started, like you said, qualifying. Lewis Hamilton crashed out in qualifying at the very start uh, of Q1, pretty much, only a couple of minutes in, which meant he was always going to start from the back of the grid. In the end, he started from pit lane because Mercedes took the opportunity to change him engine parts, seeing as it was essentially no penalty for him. And I couldn't help but think, and I wonder if you were thinking the same thing, Fernando, that had the championship still been alive, what an exciting chapter this would have been. Hamilton starting from the back, Vettel competing for pole, starting from the front row. There should have been so much tension, and yet 
There obviously wasn't any. I imagine Vettel watching from his car at the beginning of Q1, then Hamilton crashes and, and Vettel mm -hmm. goes, really? You're going to crash <laughs> now that you become champion? Because this was certainly become a, a very good ingredient in this title fight. And it was so good to see Hamilton fighting back from the, from the back of the grid, always going for overtakes and going for overtakes in places we didn't expect him to go. He was going for overtakes in the middle of sector two in mm. every lap. He was so, <laughs> he was full speed going through the field. It was really good. It was a show that Hamilton put up yet, uh, yesterday. So, a really, really good race for Hamilton. A pleasure to have watched this in person. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've seen a couple of these fight from the back races this year. And partly that's because, or for most of the reason up until now, obviously Hamilton wasn't the case, but was the engine penalties. The engine penalties have been playing a, an increasing part in, in Formula One, especially at the later part of this season. And next year with only three engines per car, it could be a similar thing. And a lot of people say, obviously, this is bad. And yes, sure, maybe it's too much in the wrong side of things when we're getting so many penalties for things the drivers aren't doing. But on the other hand... Seeing Hamilton fight from the back, Ricardo the same, he had to fight from the back, and he's very good at overtaking, he's doing some great overtaking moves this race, kind of gave us something to talk about, I guess, doesn't it? Yes, it certainly did, and the beginning of the race was incredible, seeing both of them fighting through the field, and it was pretty much out, and two overtakes granted every lap in the first couple of laps, because Hamilton was fighting through from the back, and, and uh, Ricardo as well. And the, the field was bunched up, so they were getting overtakes pretty much every lap until they got to a, a little bit further. So it was a really good show, and my seat my seat is on the main straight, so mm -hmm. pretty much everything was happening there. <laughs> it was a really be really good beginning of the race, and I'm glad, <laughs> in a way, they started from the back of the grid. <laughs> I think so. At least it gave us a, a little bit of action. And they obviously will get towards the end of the race in a moment where Lewis Hamilton strangely seemed like maybe he could be competing for victory after starting from pit lane, but... Sebastian Vettel ultimately won this race, of course, as we've said, and that was all done in that first lap, at the first turn where he cut past Valtteri Bottas. Now, we talked about Bottas bouncing back this weekend after having some poor form in the second half of the year, and that is largely true. He finished not very far behind Vettel, only two and a half, nearly three seconds behind him, and he was pretty close to him for the whole race. It's not as if Vettel got away from him, but was a little bit disappointing to see Valtteri Bottas after the team got behind him. You know, it was his opportunity to, sh to shine and get his first win uh, since Austria all the way back in June. Uh, and then to give it away so relatively easily to Vettel. You know, it's, it's funny to think that, like, now that Hamilton is champion, now Bottas has a <laughs> chance to fight. But it was just a coincidence that Hamilton crashed in Q1 and now Bottas had a, a, a moment in the sun to maybe get his his maiden win after after Austria, but that wasn't the case. But Vettel dived into Vettel dove into turn one, but Bonas he was a pretty reliable, let's say, second driver in the beginning of the year, and he got and he got Mercedes the the constructor champion really quickly because uh, Raikkonen didn't uh, bring results as as Bottas, but still. Bottas didn't fight for the championship. And like we said in the beginning, every time Bottas was about to get considered to be in a title fight, he did something bad or Hamilton and Vettel dominated again. So maybe it's a case of Bottas adapting to Mercedes, I don't know, or maybe he'll become more uh, um, competitive next year. But it was it was a good race overall for Bottas because he was close to Vettel the whole, tr the whole race. 
It was just a case of of him not attacking Vettel, and this was the case even with Raikkonen. They they were close the whole way, the whole, the whole race through. Uh, Bottas was close to Vettel, and Raikkonen was close to Bottas, but no one was attacking there because they couldn't get uh, as close as they needed. So they cruised, even though they were really close. And Bottas got a podium there that he 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 would gladly take. But I think he would like a win just because, like you said, his last win was Austria, and he needs to bring on results. But as as long as he doesn't create problems there, I think he he's safe uh, in Mercedes for the next couple of years because he brings results at least. He's just not as competitive and as challenging as as Hamilton. It's interesting we say that. I mean, we've talked a little bit about how um, there's so much overtaking from Hamilton and Ricardo in this race, and they made it look kind of easy. But then on the other hand, I think we've said it a couple of times in this show before in the last couple of weeks, it's... It, they've obviously got significantly faster cars than the rest of the midfield. Even uh, Hamilton's car in particular, we know the Mercedes, obviously, one of the great cars of, of the field, made short work of even Max Verstappen, and Verstappen's in one of the top three cars. And partly that's because Renault had to have their engines turned down this round after they suffered so many failures uh, in Mexico, which was also a, a high-altitude circuit and it put a lot of pressure on their turbo. And we even saw, for example, Sergio Perez in a Mercedes-powered car couldn't pass Fernando along in a McLaren Honda. Does it sort of make these great back-of-the-field drives like Ricardo and Hamilton have a little bit cheaper because we know their cars are so much faster than everyone else? No, it was interesting because, like I said, I was seated in the main street and my seat was close to the pit entry. So some some of the overtakes, we were seeing them approaching this straight and we, we said, well, he's not overtaking this lap, he's not overtaking this lap, he's too far. And then when he gets to the breaking point, he's overtaking the car, the car in front, Hamilton or, or Ricardo. So they had an easier... It was really common. They had an easier life there trying to overtake. Alonso was stuck behind Massa the whole race through, but then you were talking about straight light speed with a Honda engine, so <laughs> this explains itself. And it was a, a case of a, a harder a harder uh, race to overtake, especially because Interlagos is not the widest track mm-hmm. of the of the year. And uh, it's a pretty twisting track in the in the middle sector, so I believe it is expected to be this difficult to overtake there. And with the new regulations, it would be a little bit harder. But it was a great race nonetheless, and the fight in the midfield had to be a lot stronger to be, to, to because of the, the nature of the track. But we saw other cars overtaking. Gasly had some overtakes, and the the Renault had some overtakes. So it was a good race overall. Just the case of Perez and Alonso getting stuck behind uh, Alonso and Massa. Now, while Ricardo and Hamilton were cutting up the field, they started on the Contra strategy on the soft tyre, whilst most other, most other cars started on the super soft. We got to the pit window, like we said, between laps 26 uh, and 32, and Valtteri Bottas pulled the trigger first. Mercedes wasn't giving up on this chance to win. He was close behind Vettel when he pitted and was attempting to pull the undercut. Now, the undercut's not especially effective uh, in Brazil because the pit lane's relatively short. Uh, there wasn't a huge difference in the performance of the tyre either there wasn't a heap of wear and what I thought was really interesting is that with the championship pressure off Ferrari executed a better pit stop than Mercedes it was three tenths of a second faster than Valtteri's pit stop uh, and came out with no problem well no problems it was very close to Bottas but ultimately no problems despite stopping a lap later it was a very cool and calm performance for Ferrari maybe not exactly the kind of performance they've had when the championship is on but that's ultimately what decided this race again I imagine Vettel on the car and when everything goes perfect he goes really <laughs> this will go perfect now that I'm not fighting for the championship anymore 
So it's <laughs> it's a funny race overall. It's a pretty Ferrari thing to happen that they they, they struggle with some things during the year. And now that it is not worth anything anymore, <laughs> they just played perfect. It was a perfect race for Ferrari. They dominated the race. Vettel, Bottas was close. Yes, he was close. But Vettel had a, an easy run there to be to go to the end with no pressure from Bottas, apart from when he got out of, out of, uh, from the pits. And even Kimi got a podium, so it was funny to see Ferrari playing perfect, not only on the strategy, not only strategy-wise, but also in the tire choice and uh, with the car setup. Now that it's not worth the championship anymore, <laughs> and, but okay, it was good to see Ferrari winning <laughs> four runs, even though it's not worth anymore. I think so. I think that's fair enough, and it gives the end of the season a little bit of extra color. But is it? Do you feel like Ferrari is in a position where they've learned enough this season to be competitive next year? I mean, we know that this championship came down to a couple of key moments, pretty much every race in Asia for one, Azerbaijan as well. Do you feel like next year their title could be on again? Or, or do you think this was their opportunity next year we're going to see Red Bull Racing and Mercedes competing, for example? I have a feeling Red Bull will come to the fight, yes. I just don't know if Ferrari will be able to sustain this because if we... If they if we date back to the beginning of the year, we were not expecting Ferrari to be this competitive. So and we were actually expecting Ferrari to be uh, the the third or even fourth mm. car on the grid, and it turns out they got a great car. So it's just a matter to see if they can sustain this level of competitiveness and if they can improve from what with what they built this this year. But I'm sure Red Bull will be on the fight next year, just like either having Ferrari together uh, or not. And uh, we. Can't have this answer now because it's unpredictable pretty much. <laughs> it was unpredictable unpredictable last year. I remember some people said it, it would be a miracle if Ferrari got a great car. and Well, they did. So we have to wait and see. But I, I expect Red Bull to come to the fight with Mercedes. So it was Vettel first and Valtteri Bottas second. Kimi Raikkonen, like we said, finished third on the podium. I think this is his first... The first time in maybe since 2013 he's had three podiums in a row, which is a, a nice side effect. But it almost wasn't. Almost wasn't a podium because Lewis Hamilton's finish was so strong. The laps he was setting on the super soft tyre after he changed on lap 43, the same time Daniel Ricciardo ultimately changed, was so powerful that it looked like not only would he get the podium, but he finished only, what was it, five seconds, six seconds behind uh, Sebastian Vettel for victory. This was almost the most unlikely of wins for Lewis Hamilton. Yes, it was. And it was spectacular to see how far he was going on seeing it in person, right? Because we saw him blasting through the field, plowing ahead. He was not wasting time with slower cars. But then he got to a point that he was in fifth with one third of the race gone. It was he, he, he got back on the fight really fast. And when we got to the end of the race, we were considering and wondering whether or not he would be able to get to the podium. And uh, we pretty much decided that he was he wasn't not he was not going to to get to to record to to record on time. But he did. But he got stuck there. And uh, it was a really amazing drive from Hamilton. If last year's driver of the day was Verstappen playing it perfect on the rain and giving us an, an, an uh, a show on the rain, this year it was Hamilton. Because while Ricardo, yes, was plowing ahead and doing some overtakes, Hamilton was not wasting any time whatsoever in the main straight, in the middle sector, in the third sector. He didn't care about where he was overtaking people. I, he overtook people pretty much in every corner of the racetrack. So it was amazing to see Hamilton being this effective, and he showed he showed us why he is a championship, why he is a four-time champion. 
It's the kind of race we expected from him in Mexico. In Mexico, is a similar story. I mean, he didn't start from the back, but by the end of the first lap, he was at the back after that tangle with Sebastian Vettel. But he was so nowhere in Mexico. His race was it was probably his worst race of the year, to be honest, uh, in Mexico. But this is what we wanted to see from him two weeks ago, isn't it? Yes, it is. I don't think. I don't think. Uh, actually, I don't know. How bad was the damage from that crash? And he obviously had problems during the week. He had engine problems during the week in Mexico. So it was an unusual bad race for Hamilton in Mexico. And he bounced back in Brazil. He plowed ahead when he could. And he got the advantage. He it was easy, like you said, with with his Mercedes to, to go through the field that quick. So he he redeemed himself from a... From a oh. Okay, yes. Um, um, it was a unusual race for him in Mexico because having the engine problem, he was complaining all week long. And then I don't know how bad he was the damage from uh, the crash he had. But he kind of redeemed himself in Brazil. Now he, 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 he started in last and then he plowed ahead when he could. He got, he, he, it was easy, like you said, blast, blasting through the field with a Mercedes. So two opposite races for Hamilton. And again, he showed us why he's a four-time champion because he now showed us how he could go through the field that quick, even though he didn't do it in Mexico. But I believe in Mexico he had more problems to worry about than just starting from the back of the grid. Yeah, that, that's fair to say. So he finished a, even a, an understated fourth place here in Brazil. Max Verstappen was fifth. He was the highest place driver to stop two times, although the second stop was really just so he could set the fastest lap, which we now know earns him a little bit of money at Red Bull Racing. Very reminiscent of the way that... Uh, one Sebastian Vettel used to do his business at Red Bull, always going for the fastest lap. Ricardo was finishing behind him in sixth. He also sort of had two stops because he had to stop on lap one. But then we get to what was the most tense battle uh, of the race, I think, in the midfield. It was Felipe Massa versus Fernando Alonso versus Sergio Perez. And the, the origin of this fight was really on the first lap because Massa, starting in ninth, had an incredible start, you know, winning, going right around the outside around Perez because he was having a bit of a hesitant start and then jumped Alonso at the safety car. And, I mean, what a great fight for him to have for his second final race in Brazil. Yeah, Felipe is known for his start, so it was no surprise that he got a great start. But it, was, it was a really, really good start. And he defended as well as he could. And we were expecting Alonso and Perez to overtake him. But he defended all race long. It was a great fight between two experienced drivers and Perez trying to ruin the fight between them. And it was really good, really beautiful to see uh, Alonso recognizing Massa's work, applauding him after the race and waiting for him to arrive in pit lane, applauding him in the entrance of pit lane. So it was good to see the respect between them. And it was amazing to see the fight in person, seeing them racing together all race long and racing that close all race long, but Massa being able to hold them up. So a great result for us and a great result for the sport to see that fight. It was a really good fight. It's essentially a win for Massa, really, because he finished ahead of all of the midfield, given that there is such a big gap between the midfield and the front runners. And he did that partly because he didn't allow Alonso to undercut him. He stopped on lap 27, which was when Alonso intended to stop. But when he saw Massa go in, that wasn't how it ended up happening. So Williams preempted this stop, which is also a nice turn of events for Williams because... Ever since they sort of had their resurgence in 2014 and have since been declining, they've been making more and more mistakes. They've had very fast pit stops, but their strategies have not always been perfect. But this was a really great race for Williams and Felipe Massa. It was a great race for them and a, a really important result because that fight in the midfield is just heating up. 
So for them to get that is sort of a cushion they needed to get in order to avoid being overtaken by other teams. And a pretty, like I said, a pretty, um, a pretty good result for them on this stretch on this strategy uh, department because they are known for their bad strategies. And even though it's a straightforward one pit stop race, you never know how can they ruin that. But they didn't, and uh, Massa got a pretty pretty good result. Interesting as well. I think we talk about Felipe Massa having a great race, and indeed he did, defending against Fernando Alonso. But we can't really have a, a podcast, I think, about Formula One without talking about Fernando Alonso and his various frustrations. He's once again called the Honda Power Unit amazing, but not because it's so great, because it's so bad, he says, even though it did propel him to finish relatively high up in the points for a midfield car, second highest midfield car, really, and he wasn't passed by Sergio Perez. Now, for Perez, he found this frustrating because he felt like he was the faster car, but because Alonso was getting DRS from Massa, Perez's DRS for Alonso wasn't being particularly effective. He wasn't getting the advantage because both cars were having the advantage. But it's interesting. I always find it interesting when McLaren and Fernando talk about Honda. Now, he said something this weekend to the effect of, you know, if I were Toro Rosso, I'd be pretty worried. But it, I mean, he did, and that car did okay, I think, right? Yeah, more because of their chassis as well. They, they capitalize on the second sector. It's a pretty twisty, slow sector. So their engine is not as, uh, as needed there as it is in the last sector. But it was I, I was sitting in the in the pit entry. It was really terrible to listen to Honda engines <laughs> entering the pits. It was always a terrible sound coming out of that. So it's not a normal engine, far from that. I believe McLaren chassis is holding them together and Alonso is holding them together as well with his arms. So a great race for Fernando, a great race for McLaren. And uh, well, let's see how Honda will come to the Toros next year and if Toroso chassis can hold it up but it was a pretty good drive from a world champion and again a nice gesture for him to applaud Massa after the race because Massa had a very difficult job to hold Alonso even though Alonso was running with uh, with Honda engines and then he had Alonso and Perez on his re- on his rear view mirrors pretty much the whole way the whole race through so we saw that fight kind of building up building up building up and they never had a chance to try and overtake each other but a, re- a great fight nonetheless. So it was a good race for Alonso and a, and a solid race for Perez, even if he was disappointed to have finished so far down from where he started on the grid. He started fifth, of course, qualified a, a pretty sensational sixth and was promoted once, once Ricardo uh, took his penalty. But nonetheless, a solid race for the midfield cars and that continues to be where the interest is. Brazilian, Brazil's normally an interesting Grand Prix. Unfortunately, the championship's over, but there is still that interest, like you said, in the midfield positions and that goes one more round. It's only separated by a couple of points. Haas, Renault and Toro Rosso. We'll see how that balances out in Abu Dhabi. Now, that was the last Brazilian Grand Prix for Felipe Massa, but I'd like to ask your opinion because it's a story that's been bubbling on for a little while and particularly this weekend. Is this going to be or are we coming close to what might be the final Brazilian Grand Prix? Because we know that they're looking for a buyer. Maybe Bernie Eccleston will buy it and he'll put sprinklers everywhere and he'll finally get the the wet race that he wants. But what is the future of the Brazilian Grand Prix look like from your perspective? It all depends on it all depends on who buys a circuit uh, at the end of the year or at the beginning of the next year. But I don't see as big of a chance of this being the last uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix simply because of the attendance this year and the the the, the racetrack being so classic and so um, and, and known by the drivers and one of the favorite tracks for the drivers. 
So maybe they'll find a common sense there. I don't expect this to be the last Brazilian Grand Prix, but it wouldn't surprise me if it is. However, I feel like this won't be the last Brazilian Grand Prix, and I hope that the people who buy the who buy Interlagos will will have a a motorsport mind to to preserve that and to turn that into a great racetrack for us to to watch Formula One because it is always a great experience to be there at the end of the year to watch a great races and to watch title deciders pretty much. If not, let's find a, a, a race for me to, to attend and to come back to, to report because motorsport and especially Formula One races are that thing that if you if you go to one of them, you have to go every year because a little a little little uh, bug will bite you and you have to go to a race every year because it's it's special, it's different, it's something that is amazing and uh, well, let's hope it can stay still be in Brazil. We'll wait and see. Hopefully next year we'll be talking to you for another Brazilian Grand Prix uh, or, you know, worst case scenario, we'll still talk to you for a different Grand Prix. You can take your pick next season if not, but fingers crossed anyway. Uh, Fernando, it's been a pleasure as always to have you on the podcast. And always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite, Michael. It's always a great feeling to be here reporting from the Brazilian Grand Prix. That was the strategy report for the 2017 Brazilian Grand Prix. But if you want to read more about the strategy from this week's race, go to f1strategyreport.com for the pit stop stats, tyre data and the write-up of all the action from Interlagos. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or your podcasting app of choice and be sure to give us a cheeky rating to help other people stumble across the show. The Strategy Report is powered by the 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager, which you can download for free for iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a look back at the season finale, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix.